Welcome to Real Foot Forward, a West Tennessee podcast from Discovery Park of America in Union City, Tennessee. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Leaders Credit Union. Thank you very much, Zach, and welcome everybody to Real Foot Forward, a West Tennessee podcast where we explore the history, the people, and the culture of our home in West Tennessee. I'm your host, Scott Williams. Okay, Zach, before I introduce today's very, very special guest, what's something you've discovered this week at Discovery Park of America? Uh, I recently discovered that our train depot is in a perfect place because uh, the Nashville, Chattanooga, and St. Louis railroad track used to run through the property that Discovery Park sits on. That is correct, and we are very close to Fulton, Kentucky. You're a Kentuckian. Um, so, uh, do you want to tell the folks who don't know, um, what, what, um, fruit Fulton, Kentucky is famous for being, um, like the primary distributor of due to the trains? Do you know? I'm going to guess the banana. That would be correct, Zach. Uh, Fulton, Kentucky was, was like, 85% 85% of the bananas in the United States back in the 40s and 50s and, you know, was distributed through Fulton, Kentucky. And every year they have a banana festival, um, which is incredible. If you like banana pudding, um, it's a, a great festival. I don't know. Do you know when it's scheduled? Why don't you look up 2024? But you've got your laptop there. Tell us when it is so we can help get people to come visit this part of the country for the banana the banana festival. He's looking. Maybe they don't have it scheduled yet. Surely they do. Isn't it in the spring? Well, we'll look it up. We'll put it in the show notes when the actual banana festival is. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So we'll look forward to that in 2024. Had a great time at it this year. So our very special uh, guest today is an award-winning entertainer, Sean Gassaway. He also goes by Bacon, and we're going to find out more about that. Welcome, Sean. Hey, good morning, Scott. How are y'all? Glad to be here today. So... So I know that you are a two-time Native American Music Awards for Song of the Year. Um, you're a winner, a winner, an award-winning songwriter, entertainer, music publisher, record executive, record producer, actor, and content creator. Um, so you've got you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. You're a very busy guy. Um, back us up though before we talk about all that and tell us um, where, where did Bacon come from. So uh, around 2016, 2017, I was on tour uh, with a friend of mine named Cowboy Troy. And uh, my wife and I, our family and I, were on the way to Cracker Barrel. And we had breakfast while I was going to go on tour with Cowboy Troy, who was a country recording artist, a pretty famous guy, and uh, blessed to know him. And while we were getting breakfast, uh, the waitress asked me, she said, may I take your order? And I said, yeah. Give me that po chop, chop, po chop, po chop, po chop. And I started dancing and singing this goofy thing while we were eating breakfast. And my wife and my oldest daughter were like, had their hands over their faces like, Dad, what are you doing? And my youngest daughter, Haley, she was like, she grabbed a salt shaker and was going to season it. So it was like, po chop, season that. And so uh, 
I get on the tour bus with Troy, and we head to Chicago or wherever we were going. And, uh, and I'm like, Troy, you like pork chops? And he said, man, I love pork chops. And so I sang him a little, give me that pork chop, pork chop, pork chop. And that little thing, he, he turned to me with a big grin on his face. He said, man, I like that. So we ended up writing a song called Pork Chop. And we went in the studio with my friend Michael Garvin, and we just composed the whole piece. Troy came in and wrapped it and uh, rapped on it. And it was a funny, comical song. And we really didn't know what to do with it other than Troy putting it on his record. And so I had the bright idea of like, man, Hardy's has got a pork chop biscuit, uh, shake and bake. Everybody uses shake and bake to make pork chops. So I found all these marketing vice presidents' emails through some investigative work that I know how to do. (laughs) (laughs) And I sent them all the record. Well, about two months later, the National Pork Board, which is the other white meat people, uh, undoubtedly had heard the record because they came to a Cowboy Troy concert, uh, him and Big and Rich, and approached Troy and said, we heard the song, we'd love to use it. And long story short, the Pork Chop song became their staple uh, marketing song for that year. Oh, wow. And really... That was great. uh, From a songwriter standpoint, creative standpoint, it was a life-changing event because they used it in all their TV commercials, radio ads, social media ads. And so, so during my entrepreneurial season, which I always have... (laughs) At any time of the year, I'm always thinking of creative ways to use the music uh, commercially. I said, well, if everyone loved pork chop the way this success came with this song, they got to love bacon. And so I created this bacon character, uh, created a song, uh, which I brought Cowboy Troy in on as well, and wrote a podcast called Mornings with Bacon. So I created this character, and I had already started going into schools across the South, especially in Mississippi where I grew up. I was going into schools teaching music, uh, songwriting, with an anti-bullying and and suicide prevention element to it. Um, And I just took over the character of Bacon. So when someone my age goes into a classroom of 11- and 12-year-olds, you know, they get a chuckle out of Mr. Bacon, you mm-hmm. know, and I sing the bacon song to him and it really opens up the door, uh, for me to become creative with these kids. And I just learned that, um, you know, I'm very spiritual. And so I just, you know, I, I learned to recognize that the whole bacon thing, the whole character, the things that I'm doing now was brought down to me from somewhere else. And, and I just accepted it and it's, really took off. Uh, uh, I'm very blessed. And so now baking goes all over the South and so does music programs. So let's like listen to uh, just a little clip. We, we can't afford the whole song. But let's just listen to a little clip um, of the bacon song. We all know bacon is serious business. Put your hands up. Can I get a witness? Yeah, that was awesome. So, um, so we're going to talk a little bit more in just a second about 
uh, what you're doing in the yeah. schools and all that. But take us even further back. Where where did you grow up? Where did you come from? So I grew up uh, I grew up in a little town called Escataba, Mississippi, which is on the Gulf Coast. I saw I saw that, and I had to Google how do you pronounce Escataba. That's it. You know, and so I I put it in here because it it doesn't sound like the way it's spelled. Right. So it's, um, it's actually a Choctaw word for dog. And you Basically. won the Native American award. Are you? Do you have Native American? Board? No, the, it's a good question. So, um, um, a few years ago, I started working with a uh, world wrestling entertainer. Her name's Mickey James, but she's also a recording artist. Mickey is Native American, mm -hmm. and uh, she does a whole lot of things. She's the only female to win the Jim Thorpe Award. Mm -hmm. uh, she's in the Native Music, uh, Native American Music uh, Hall of Fame. And so she recorded several of my songs, and two of those songs became the Native American Music Award Song of the Year. So that's how hmm. uh, I became the winner of those awards. Yeah, you know we I have a songs. we have a powwow here at Discovery Park. We that's should, amazing. We should get her to come. Um, she would love to do it. Uh, that's yeah. one of the things. You know, without going too far down that road, that's one of the things Mickey and I are developing. Is yeah. she wants to do a Native American festival, not like week-long festival but go to different places like for a day or two and do like native american dancing and things like that um yeah we had at, at the one we we had our first one this past year mm -hmm. we had uh more than 75 native americans here competing in the powwow and we had a big education component mm -hmm. and so we'll have to we'll have to connect with her and see if she wants to come hang out with us that weekend um so um Escataba. Is it pa or ba? Escataba. Yeah, you use it with P. It's, it's a, a I noticed P. where it was. Yeah, Escataba. Yeah, that's a tough one. So tell us about growing up there. What was it like? Uh, you know, it was a small town, southern Mississippi. There's there's multiple parts of Mississippi. Um, <laughs> you know, if you live in the Delta, you got the blues. But when you live on the Gulf Coast, the Gulf Coast is a different kind of Mississippi than like more rural Mississippi, but, uh, my dad <clears throat> was a carpenter or he's retired now, but he was a general contractor. So the majority of my life, my brother and I, you know, we grew up, you know, sh shoveling shingles off of houses when we were out of school, you know, it was a very tough, rugged kind of grow up. Uh, my dad's a former Marine, well, he's still a Marine, but he was, uh, in the Marine. So when he got out, he started his business and, um, you know, and it's hot, like <laughs> extremely humid and hot. And so I immediately knew I need to be doing something else than living down here, shoveling shingles off of roofs and Lots this of kind mosquitoes, of mosquitoes. I'm sure. Oh, mosquitoes, and, the swamp, yeah. and all that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I will say that uh, growing up in the '80s, early '90s, uh, we were very fortunate. We lived in some very cool and unique areas. I, I really enjoyed the high school that I went to. Yeah. Uh, we had a graduating class of 600. Um, oh, wow. It's bigger than I thought. Yeah. Well, the area is, we were a football powerhouse and my wife went to Pascagoula is where she graduated, mm -hmm. which is just south of Moss Point. So we were rivals, but they had an even bigger school, if I imagine, if I can remember right. Uh, so it was one of those things like growing up in the football area. High school football was super big, so you had the Friday night lights kind of thing. Um, uh, and fishing, you know, fishing was, uh, is, has been, and will always be a big passion of mine. So, uh, 
you know, there was no uh, limit to going fishing down there. You had to go for Mexico and in the river systems. And so, uh, and then as I got into high school, well, I'm going to say before high school, I wrote my first song when I was 14. Mm. I used my dad's old guitar that he had put away. Uh, and then, you know, so me and some friends of mine that I went to high school with just started jamming play music together, writing stuff. I knew immediately that songwriting was my gift. I always tell people that my dad builds homes and I build songs, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I can't cut a piece of wood <laughs> at the right angle for nothing, and he can't write a song worth a darn either. So, you know, it's just that's the way it is. Now, so, so you didn't have parents who wrote. What, mm-hmm. what inspired you to just begin? What was the inspiration to make you pick up the pencil and the guitar or the piano? Or You know, to be honest with you, like I said, I, I fall back on spirituality and whatever path was given to me. I just remember... When I was a teenager, I liked playing football. I liked being in sports. I liked playing baseball. You know, that was a big thing. My wife was a tremendous softball player. And so we always spent a lot of time at the baseball fields. But I don't know. I was, I just remember seeing my dad's guitar in the closet thinking, man, I hate to see it not used. And I taught myself how to play in the afternoons. I even quit football. Uh, I had a part time job like most people do. Um, but, uh, back then when we were kids, but I was just driven to learn how to play. It came easy to me. Uh, writing songs came easy to me. And then, uh, and I just felt like this is what I want to do. Uh, even though when I graduated, I tried the college thing. What for me, uh, I learned how to become an electrician. So I went through an apprenticeship at the Pascola shipyard. Uh, we, they build Navy ships, down there and and so i did like everybody else did you go to high school get out if you don't go to college you go to work the shipyard but i just knew that wasn't just deep inside i knew this ain't what i'm supposed to be doing uh, and some friends of mine uh that we all played music together uh that group of people became the rock group three doors down mm. and so you That's know cool and so we were doing a lot of writing together and the record labels came down heard their music and was like, we're going to pick you guys up. And so they took off. And by that time I was working with some artists who were signed with some Nashville people. And so I was being introduced to some Nashville people. And one of them was Michael Garvin and who I, to this day, I give him all the credit in the world for having given me the courage to go up there. But he wrote waiting for the night for Jennifer Lopez, 25 or so number one country songs that everybody probably knows from back then. Um, you know, he was the one that said, Sean, what you're writing is really good. You'll become even greater at it if you move here and write with us mm-hmm. on a more full-time level. And uh, between him having that talk, I'd say six weeks later, I had got a job offer from CSX Railroad, which y'all were talking about railroads earlier. Yeah. Runs through here. Uh, they offered me an electrician job at their Nashville shop. And what people don't understand is how hard it is just to get on with the railroad. <laughs> For me to get a job with the railroad in, well, like, six weeks, wasn't it? Uh, my wife's in here. Y'all can't see, but my wife's <laughs> in here listening. In six weeks, I got a job in one of the hardest industries to get a job with mm. as the craft that I am Yeah, in the town that I was told I need to be at. So if you don't see a spiritual connection there with that, something's wrong with you, yeah, you know? And, and so, right. And so we, and then we found 
a house that we love with property that we've never thought we'd ever be afford to have. And uh, it just is how I ended up in Tennessee. And uh, and it was the craziest thing. I don't know how long you want me to ramble on because I could tell you a story forever. But uh, As long as you want. We, well, I mean, we you know, what's funny is a month after I moved to Tennessee, uh, I had one of them old Nokia phones, if y'all remember from the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at the railroad and I dropped it and broke it in a million pieces. And mm-hmm. that's where my, that's where Michael's contact information was. Oh. These people that told me to come to Nashville, I didn't know where they lived. Yeah. I mean, I might been, I was at Michael's house maybe twice in a two year period. Yeah. I could, and I didn't know Middle Tennessee, so I couldn't drive there. So literally there was no texting. There was no, there was some emails, but not a lot. Yeah, back then. So everybody I knew in the music industry got destroyed when I dropped my phone uh-huh. at work that day. Yeah. And so I got me a new phone, and I told my wife, I was like, I have no idea how to get in touch with Michael. There wasn't a Facebook. There wasn't none of these things back then to find people. Yeah, yeah. And his name wasn't in the phone book. And so I was like, I guess I'm going to have to do this on my own. You yeah. know, and uh, so I would work midnights for CSX as an electrician, and then I would sleep maybe three hours and then I would travel to town uh, or go to a studio and just start recording pieces of music that I wrote um, invested a lot of our money that we didn't have into you know my music and it just kind of started that ramp of success uh, I did a thing for American Idol during their season one or two that they used to have a contest that ran with the show. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows about that, but yeah. songwriters could enter it, and the winner of the songwriting contest got the finale song. Mm. And so one of my songs was a finalist. Oh, wow. And so that opened doors to people in L.A. contacting me saying, hey, uh, your song's not the winner, but we're putting together this album of songs that got this far for some charity work that they're doing. And of course I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, send me the paperwork. I'll sign away my rights to it for temporary to do this. Sure. And so it was just opening the doors of people hearing my music, wondering where are you getting your music recorded? Right. And I'm like, I'm doing it with a studio I'm working with. And so for the next five or six years, I did nothing but produce records. I probably didn't write one song in like five or six years. And, uh, and that was that led into like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, uh, and then I was on. I'll never forget it. My wife, she worked at home at the time, uh, transcription doing transcription work for a hospital, and I told her, I said, "Hey, I'm gonna go play some golf. You take a day off." And uh, like the third hole, I got a birdie, and I could play golf back in the day. <laughs> and uh, but I remember going to my car, getting in it, and. What I call a God smack happening. I just I just remember being hit in the heart like a bolt of lightning and the words come to me that says, I need you to write. And I literally heard that. And uh, I put my golf clubs in the truck, went home, and I walked in and she was like, there's no way you were done playing golf this early. And I was like, I came home to write. And I uh, suspended all productions I was doing. I actually gave them to somebody else. I gave them to a friend of mine in Three Doors Down, actually. He moved to Tennessee and had a studio, so I gave him all my production work uh, while they was off tour, and I just started writing. And, like, literally six months later, 
I'm on the 50 yard line at a Pittsburgh Steelers game singing a song I wrote in the national anthem in front of 75,000 people. That's crazy. And, you know, it was just like, you do what I need you to do, and I'll show you what happens when you do that. Yeah. So it was a life changing event. And so it just. And you've since written like hundreds of. Thousands of songs. Thousands of songs for a lot of contemporary artists that people would know and have heard of. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you obviously you know, have, have gone a long ways with that, yeah. you know, since then. So, so talk to us, um, about the work that you're doing in the schools. So uh, I'm going to say about, so it's 2024. So I'm about 10 years ago, uh, I got introduced to these programs that were anti-bullying, suicide prevention, uh, they were telling me about the work they were doing in schools. And in Mississippi, the Mississippi Songwriters Alliance, uh, I'm their education coordinator now, but back then we didn't have any of those pieces of the puzzle put together. But even back then we had talked about what can we do more to make a difference in our community. And, you know, when you think kids in our school just ding, 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 the the bell rings, you know, it's like this is where uh, we can be the most help. But uh, I started getting uh, introduced to programs like Cowboy Up, which is a Middle Tennessee uh, nonprofit that goes into schools for anti-bullying, suicide prevention. And I just, do you want a musical element to this? Because I could see coming in and doing what we're doing, incorporating what you're doing with music might help. And so it just started about 10 years ago. Uh, I was going into schools and immediately seeing the impact of even the worst of the worst children as far as uh, actors, bad actors, uh, seeing a creative outlet that they can take their bad acting, shove it to the side and pour their heart into something. And even the teachers, administrators, they were all like, wow, this creative outlet that, that we're impo- you know, that we're in- introducing to these kids immediately had an impact. And, uh, and luckily, I'm a very what you would call a fast songwriter (laughs) and not all of us are. So I'm very blessed to be able to have that talent, but I was able to take incorporate what they were wanting to say into a melody Mm -hmm. and it'd be me and my guitar and it would be an immediate impact. Not like I'll take it home with me and work Mm. on it kind of thing. It was like, you tell me what you want to, you tell me the words that you're hearing and maybe you could sing a little bit of it. And then I immediately give it to them on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And so they were seeing an immediate impact of their creativity coming to light. Yeah. And so, uh, and it just started growing from there. I was, uh, um, you know, I, I seen opportunities to go into school um, and talk to kids and do these things. And so I introduced it uh, down in Mississippi and I said, this is something we should do, but I don't live there. Yeah, And so the Mississippi Alliance was bringing in people that they had easy access to to go in and, uh, and started infiltrating uh, the, the school systems down there for what we had an idea of. And that became the Mississippi Music Arts Therapy Program, which I'm blessed to uh, have created uh, with our friends down there. And uh, we kind of emphasized, here's our mission. This is what we're going to do. Here's the science and the... Um, Here's the science behind it that says this works. And and so now we've built a program down there where we're going into schools across the southern states, uh, southern counties of Mississippi. Uh, but I've also 
I've flown out to Arizona, Utah, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia. Um, there's probably some. I mean, I did it in Sweden. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to Sweden on the on behalf of Mississippi. Uh, just doing these MAP programs with these kids, it's only 45 minutes, you know, if I'm in a classroom setting. Um, and then I've also set up workshops where I can go to a facility, spend all day, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, we start nine o'clock in the morning, end up by three, we've got a song that's recorded on my phone. You know, it's, it's a real thing. It's a real entity. And it gives these children a creative outlet that they've never had before. And it's just a mere fact. It's not, uh, not rocket science. You know, it's uh, you take a room full of children who normally don't interact with one another outside of school or whatever. Uh, you get them to become creative with one another. Now there's an emotional connection between them. You're less likely to bully somebody you've written a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just basic science. Sure. Uh, and so that's the whole emphasis of the program is uh, – having the courage to go in, you know, and then having the talent and ability to be able to get out of them creatively what they're wanting to say. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe changing a life. You That's know? great. And then, you know, and then, you know, not everybody's in music. You know, one of the things I teach is everybody's dreams are valid, no matter what that dream is, because I'm sitting in front of a group of either 15 kids, 150 kids. You know, there's, there's no ballpark figure of doing this, but each one of them has some kind of dream in their head that either somebody's going to poo-poo and destroy on them or somebody's going to get behind and, and believe in it and say, you could do this. And it goes back to the pork chop story. In the bacon song, I didn't really talk about bacon, but bacon was the next in line with the pork industry. They used it during COVID. They did sweepstakes, gave away a year's worth of free bacon if you got on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, doing a dance to our bacon song. Oh, wow. And so yeah. somebody won a year's worth of free bacon, yeah. and there was millions of entries. That's great. Uh, it was crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, and I'm blessed because the National Port Board has become a friend of ours and, you know, a friend of mine. And so anything I do with this bacon character, I always include them because uh, they've been financially, especially in my life with our songs, they've been a a wonderful, you know, it, during COVID especially, you know, I, I made a good living that year when everybody else in the music industry got destroyed because there was nowhere to play. All the right. shows got canceled. But going back to the school thing, it's just, it's an amazing feeling to know that you've had an impact on a child's life. Um, and you let them know that your dreams are valid because, you know, I'm living in real life with real life experience when I sang my goofy idea to Troy about a pork chop, Mm -hmm. he could have easily destroyed that idea immediately by saying, man, that's dumb. There's no way I would ever do anything (laughs) with that. And it never wouldn't exist. And the same thing with the bacon idea. And so I'm living example of, uh, dreams being valid. And I think it opens these children's eyes, even adults, you know, in the anti, in the bullying world, I don't want to get on a soapbox or nothing. But in the bullying world, in the world where kids are allowed to bully one another, the biggest, uh, uh, the ones that have the less courage ain't the bullying; it's the adults around letting it happen. Mm, yeah, 
They're the they're the ones that are the scared. They're more scared than the kid getting bullied because they don't want to say nothing to the kid. Yeah. And you know, and and that's one of the talks I have with administrators is you got we got to have more courage to stand up, you know, quit being worried about somebody I can't believe you talked to that child that way. Yeah. You don't have to be ugly to them. We just need to give them a creative outlet yeah. that takes the place of that anger. Yeah. That's all it takes. Is yeah. it? And so, but that's that's where a lot of, um, you know, that's where I, I just try to bring in courage. Like, you, even music teachers, and it's a shame. I've I've only had a handful of music educators who understand what I do. Yeah, the rest of them they are filling an eight hour day and going home. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, and that to me that's a. That's a shame. Now, I know that the uh, Mississippi Songwriters Alliance is also part of all of this. What? Tell me a little bit about that organization and your involvement. So uh, the Mississippi Songwriters Alliance is basically me and about eight of my friends, maybe 10. Uh, back in the late 2000s or 2010-ish area, we had our first Songwriters Festival, mm-hmm. and uh, we've done you know, everything was out of pocket. You know, now today's a different world, but back then, even going to schools without donations or something, I, it's just it's very expensive to travel and do all these things. And we did a lot of stuff out of pocket for many, many years. But it's just a group of music creators who wanted to bring to light. This is what we do. You know, you're hearing your favorite song like today. Um, I don't want to date the show, but you know, Toby Keith passed away this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't realize. A lot of his hit songs, he didn't. He wasn't the writer of those songs. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of them were. He, yeah. he was a great songwriter. Yeah. But there were a lot of songs in his early career. Nobody, you know, they think, oh, that's a Toby Keith song, but they don't know the person that actually wrote it and what was going on in their life when they wrote it. Right. You know? And so we were, you know, we were blessed to come up with this idea uh, down at home to create these festivals and these shows. We call them songs and stories where you get to go in and hear maybe one of your favorite songs, but why it was written mm-hmm. and who wrote it. Yeah. And uh, so we started there bringing awareness. We partnered with the City of Ocean Springs, Mississippi, which is also on the Gulf Coast. And they were open to us saying, y'all come on in. And we'll gladly help facilitate whatever needs. And we got with the local venues. And so we just started at that time bringing five or six hit songwriters down that we could afford to bring. And we were going in these places and playing our music. And um, and it was just a wonderful thing. Then we started spreading out to our community, what can we do to help, which is where the school thing kind of opened up. And then, uh, but in the last four years, the state of Mississippi has really acknowledged what we've been doing. And, uh, and so we've been able to go to the legislature and having friends in the legislature now, in the last, I'm going to say, three years, we've received about $8 million in funds from the state of Mississippi to build. Uh, uh, we partnered with the city of Gauche, which is a neighboring city of Ocean Springs. Um, they were in the process of getting a revitalization program for their city, and so we partnered with them. And so that money is now building uh, a capacity of 11,000 people at Amphitheater, for music concerts. Oh, wow. uh, we're building a uh, Mississippi Songwriters Hall of Fame Performing Arts Center. Uh, we started the Mississippi Songwriters Hall of Fame. Uh, so all that funding is building the structures that's being built now in Gauthier. 
and uh, we're building a state of our one million dollar uh, Dolby Atmos recording studio, so that our, you know, as I'm going out in schools and, and people that are doing schools with me, as we see, you know, kid creators who is wanting to get into this, yeah. Uh, now they're going, you know, by 2025, they'll have a place to go record their music that's you know, that they're writing. Yeah, that's great. And so, and we're going to be doing songwriting classes and more in mat stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so now the state of Mississippi is like, we really like what you're doing. We see the impact that it's having on the coast. And so, you know, our next step is to roll it out across the state, which is what we're doing now. Yeah. And so um, well, I'm going to I want to after the break, I want to talk more yeah. about Mississippi and music. And but first, I want to mention Philip Coleman. Do you know Philip Coleman at all? Name he's, sounds he's from this area and he's a, a songwriter and he has an event here at Discovery Park every year called Singer Songwriter, where oh. he brings in writers, you know, and they sit on the stage and they sing and they perform. and They tell the stories behind it sells out almost immediately oh, yes. when we, you know, people love that event. Uh, Philip Coleman's a great friend of Discovery Park and a really talented guy. So we'll have to connect you. I'd love you to. Too. And and before we go to the break, I also want to mention that you're coming back for Rhythm on the Rails. Yep, June 14th. June 14th. So you're yeah. going to be one of the uh, entertainers for our music festival that takes place. So folks can, can come then and actually hear you perform. Um, and uh, uh, learn a little bit more about you and your yeah. performing style. If you love baking, you'll love the show. <laughs> That's right. Everybody loves baking. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> um, so uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we get back, we're going to talk about Mississippi music. With nine branches in West Tennessee and nationwide ATM and branch access, you can take Leaders Credit Union with you wherever you go. From checking accounts, credit cards, home loans, and their state-of-the-art mobile app, Banking with Leaders can help you move forward. Learn more and see how you can qualify for membership at LeadersCU.com. Leaders is insured by the NCUA. I hope you're enjoying the Real Foot Forward podcast from Discovery Park of America. If you are, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your host, Scott Williams, and our guest today is entertainer, writer, uh, dude who is doing all kinds of great stuff for young folks, Sean Gassaway, also known as Bacon. Yeah. Um, and he's also an upcoming uh, entertainer on uh, who's going to be performing for Rhythm on the Rails. So... I'm fascinated, of course, having a little bit of a background in the Elvis Presley world, who, by the way, didn't write his own songs. He, you know, sang other folks' songs. Um, Mississippi is just a hotbed yeah. of uh, history. Um, I was curious while I go, so I just Googled, you know, who were some of the songwriters from Mississippi. Of course, everybody recognizes the names of um, like Mickey Gilly, Jimmy Buffett, Tammy Wynette, Charlie Pride. Blind Jim Brewer, you know, there's some blues and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Talk to us a little bit about what you think the impact of where you came from has to do with your success today as a writer. Well, <clears throat> one of the staples of Mississippi is we are the birthplace of America's music. And if you ever travel into Mississippi, you'll see that on their Welcome to Mississippi signs, birthplace of America's music. The Mississippi Songwriters Alliance, we're taking it a step further. We're telling uh, folks that we are the place for America's music. 
which uh, before the break, I was talking about the amphitheater and recording studio uh, where we're finding the next Elvis. We're finding the next B.B. King. We're finding the next rap artist or uh, gospel artist who is coming up in our system uh, in the state who just they don't have a way of getting their creative outlet out. And so we're providing them that that source. And so we're bringing the music business to Mississippi. And so that's the whole, pro, uh, that's, that's where our plan is and our goals are. But we wouldn't be doing none of this without, you know, the folks that you had just spoke about. And part of the Songwriters Alliance and us, uh, we have the ownership, I guess that's the best word to say, of the Mississippi Songwriters Hall of Fame. We get to hear the stories. Like we just inducted, um, uh, man, I'm having a, a brain, Jimmy Rogers. And what people don't realize was the lady that wrote all the songs with Jimmy Rogers. Mm-hmm. You know, we inducted her in the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, Bo Diddley, we just inducted him into the Hall of Fame. What about Robert Johnson? He's the king of the blues. The king of the blues. I don't know if we've inducted him yet, but he's on the future document. I was going to say, I'll nominate him. Oh, Glenn Ballard. We just nominated him, which yeah. a lot of people don't know. He's from Mississippi. Yeah. And, um, you know, not only did he write Alanis Morissette's big album with her, he's done a tremendous lot of stuff in the music business people don't even know about. Um, there's another guy that wrote Midnight Train to Georgia. I'm having a hard time remembering his name, but Jim. But one of the, you know, here's the thing about the stories. Is like he was a quarterback for Ole Miss and hugely successful. And uh, forgive me for not remembering his name. I'm bad with names. Me too. But uh, when he got out of playing football, he got into music as a, as a writer. And because of his football status, he became friends with a lot of stars. And a couple of his friends was Lee Majors and Farrah Fawcett. And at the time, they were dating. And uh, we just inducted him to our Hall of Fame. Now, he's passed away, but his cousin is the one that introduced him. And so he told us his story. But uh, Jim got on a phone call with Farrah Fawcett. And he's like, hey, what are y'all doing? She goes, oh, we took a midnight plane to Houston, and we're hanging out here. Uh, we know you know this town. Can you tell us where to go eat and things like that? And so he took this idea, and he wrote a song called Midnight Plane to Houston. <laughs> the whole song. Yeah. And he pitched it to a producer in Atlanta mm-hmm. and he was producing CC Houston, Whitney Houston's mother. Mm-hmm. And she recorded it. But while she was recording it, she was like, that midnight plane to Houston ain't rolling off my tongue, but I took a midnight train to Georgia. Can I sing that instead? And they were like, sure. Yeah. And that's where midnight train to Georgia come from. Yeah. And then Gladys Knight recorded it. Sure. And it became a big old hit. Yeah. But, uh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. There's uh, there's yeah. so many stories about these songs that people don't understand how they got to fru- how they come to fruition, and uh, that's what I love so much about uh, sharing the songwriters with the public. It's like because they just don't know. Have you been to the uh, Gateway to the Blues Museum in Tunica? No, but I was just recently at the Grammy Museum in yeah. Cleveland, Mississippi. I, been to the, I was at the Grammy Museum Beautiful not too facility. long ago. Next time you're in that, next time you're going through Memphis or whatever, stop off there. It is, and I'm in the museum business, and so I see museums. 
It is one of my favorite museums I've ever been to. Uh, it has a lot of uh, paintings by George Hunt of oh, blues artists. And then it's got, you know, like artifacts, guitars. It's not huge, but it's just so well done. You know, it's just an amazing yeah, uh, we'll have tribute. You. We'll, be back in, uh, we'll be back in the Delta, uh, I want to say in uh, May or June. I, I don't know the specific dates yet because one of the things that uh, with the state of Mississippi – uh, being involved with us a little bit more now. We're doing a Mississippi Songwriters Festival in every region that the tourism board. So there's five regions of Mississippi, the Gulf yeah. Coast, the Hills, the River, uh, the Delta, and uh, the Pines. Okay. And so we've already introduced the Delta Festival last year and the Pines Festival last year. This year we're introducing the Hills and Tupelo. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to do one around Vicksburg, which they call the river area or okay. Natchez around there. Okay. And so by 2025, by every two and a half months, we're going to have a Mississippi Songwriters Festival Gulf Coast edition. That's great. Pines edition. And so, and then we're taking my education program. And also, so when we're doing a festival there, either myself or someone that does the MAP program that I'm still working on. Uh, they'll be going into schools in those towns that we go to. And so that's how we're creating a footprint around the state. And so I'll be going there sometime. Yeah. And what summer. about, um, I know you said, we had mentioned, I mentioned my friend Stephanie Coomer at the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm sure you'll meet her at the tourism board there in, in uh, Tupelo. Yeah. Uh, great people in Tupelo. Uh, yeah. They do an Elvis tribute artist contest every year and just a really fun, they really promote Elvis's birthplace along with a lot of other music related attractions and things in that area. So. I know in March, I'll have to get with her. Yeah, get with uh, Stephanie. We're going to be at Oxford, which isn't too far from yeah. Tupelo. Yeah. Uh, we're doing our first uh, Oxford area. I think that's the Hills area. Sure. Uh, so we're doing our first introduction there March the 2nd, yeah. March the 1st and 2nd, something like that. And so I'll make sure that she knows about it and we'll get her an invitation to Yeah, her. I'll connect you guys yeah. via email. And so you're here today while you're here, you're also going to, you haven't seen the stage yet, I don't think. No. And so Carl's going to show you the stage where you're going to be performing. Uh, what What's your performance going to be like here for Rhythm on the Rails? So, uh, I'm a little bit different of a songwriter. Everything I will, I'm going to play is songs I've written. I don't do any cover songs. Uh, we always tell people that we write the songs people cover. And so <laughs> I'll be doing a mix of my country, a mix of my rock. Uh, I'll probably even rap a little bit. So uh, you never know what you're going to get, but I can guarantee you, you won't be sad when you leave. Well, and I'm going to have to talk to Connie and see if she'll have bacon for sale. Um, there, you know, the food, it's the craziest you know. thing. Two weeks ago, I played what we call house concerts. Mm -hmm. Um, this wonderful family introduced me into their home. They invited a bunch of their friends and community leaders from around. We've had, we had people there from sheriffs to church members to the butcher, but they did a bacon party <laughs> and everybody had to bring a bacon dish. And it was the most, it was my first bacon party. You know, I'm like, why didn't I think of this sooner? But everybody brought a bacon dish. I played in their home in front of like, I think there was like 40 to 50 people yeah. in their living room and chairs. Just And it was one of the coolest things I ever done. And I was like, 
from now on, I'm going to tell people to bring some bacon with them. That would be Yeah, amazing. well, we'll definitely have bacon. We'll we'll have some bacon for sale. We might have bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches. Oh, there we go. That, BLTs. That, I'm yeah. a big fan. Yeah, that'll be good. We, <laughs> we could do pork chops, too, maybe. That might be fun. You know, hey, so. I never turned down a pork chop either. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you for coming and talking to us today hey, for the podcast. I'm blessed to be here. And, and I know you did a little digging in me, and I did a little digging into the discovery parts of America. And... Uh, if you if you listen to the podcast but you've never been here, my wife and I's first impression when we walked in was oh my goodness, <laughs> and then our second impression was look at how much fun the kids that are in here are having. Yeah, uh, it's an outlet that I strongly recommend you bring your family to. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that the next time we come, I'm gonna bring my children with us and uh, and just show off this facility because I had no idea. This place was even in Tennessee, to be honest with you, and um, and and I and I strongly believe that I was supposed to listen to that radio show that day to hear about you guys. Yeah, because, excellent. Uh, yeah, I think I was on the radio maybe for to talk about Christmas. Maybe it might have been. It yeah. was around Christmas. Yeah, but I can tell you, uh, uh, you will definitely hear me talking about this part starting from today forward. It's yeah, a beautiful place. fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. And you guys haven't even seen the, out- yeah, the we, stage yet or anything. We just walked so. in the doors and was blown away. <laughs> yeah, nothing like it in yeah, the world. It's beautiful. And thank you to all you listeners who've joined us today at Discovery Park of America. Our mission here is to inspire children and adults to see beyond. To plan an experience here for you and your family, visit discoveryparkofamerica.com. 